if you could wave a magic wand, what one thing would you create or change immediately to help more children find consistent, calm, and resilient health? Mom guilt. Mm, <laughs> I would wipe it off the face of the planet. It's I so... love that one. <laughs> I know it's maybe not what you're expecting, but it's so unhelpful and it is our default and I fall into it as well and by no means perfect. But in order to yeah. raise resilient kids, we have to improve our own resilience and our own confidence and connect with our own intuition. Welcome to the Earth Food First podcast, where we're reimagining kid food culture to protect our children's whole health. And that means body, mood, and mind. In our first guest series, we're talking with moms who have not only made the choice to feed their families differently than the standard kid food culture dictates, but have also built careers helping other parents do the very same. Today's guest is Jess Sherman, an entrepreneur, mom of three incredible boys, and basically an absolute superwoman when it comes to helping children calm down, stabilize moodiness, learn to sleep better, learn better, poop better, and be less anxious. That's a lot under one roof. So how does she do it? Well, as a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, award-winning registered holistic nutritionist, international speaker, and author, Jess has successfully connected the dots to show how genetics, nutrition, and hidden biological stress can greatly affect how a child behaves, functions, and thinks. Through her unique coaching program, Jess has helped parents in over 44 countries find effective, safe, and natural solutions to help their kids struggling with anxiety, moodiness, poor sleep, ADHD, autism, and other mood disorders reclaim their resilience and feel awesome, all without medication whenever possible. She's also a certified teacher with a master's degree in education from the University of Toronto. Jess, hello and welcome, welcome to the Earth Food First podcast. Thank you so much for participating in our launch series and it is just, it's such an honor to have you here. Oh, thanks so much. I was driving in my car and listening to your free uh, one-hour masterclass last week and my mind was just truly blown by the information that you were sharing in regards to some of the true causes of children's anxiety, behavioral struggles that I just so few parents are aware of or talking about. And I'm just very excited to share your knowledge with uh, the community today. At the top of our show, we like to just provide listeners with a dollop of value right away before we dive in. So the question that I'm going to ask you is, what would you gift our audience? What one takeaway would you, would you share? I think it's a concept. The concept is that kids are not manipulative. Kids are reactive and they are reflective. And they're very intelligent and they have very intelligent bodies. 
So whatever we're seeing on the outside is reflective of something on the inside. So it's a con- it's a concept shift for parents that I that I would leave them with to, to chew on. That's a very good dollop of 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 value right away. And and I think I have a four year old, and as you learn how to be a parent, I know your kids. I think are older, right? How old are they? Uh, they're twelve, f- fourteen, and sixteen. Okay, so I have been so you know, definitely guilty of just assuming they're like an adult where adults sometimes are manipulative and hearing you and other kind of experts, parenting experts that I listen to talk about how that's not the case at all. It does completely reframe, I think, how we realize we need to interact with them. So yeah, I am. And maybe I should clarify because kids do manipulate right? They do manipulate situations, but they do it out of a sense of necessity and out of a sense of survival. So when I use the word manipulative, it's like they're not connivingly manipulative, but they are trying to get what they aren't, what they want and what they need, Mm -hmm. but it's reflective of something. It's reflective of they don't have what they need. They don't, something is going on with them. They Mm -hmm. need more of something or less of something. And they are, they're acting in reaction to that. So our job is rather than, you know, shaming them for being manipulative and conniving, it's to figure out what they need more of and what they need less of so we can create an environment for them. Right. And that's, I think, where you come in for so many families. So um, you're a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner, an award-winning registered holistic nutritionist. I think when people hear the word nutritionist, they often just assume you are helping people eat healthier foods. But I know now that your work goes so far beyond that. Can you um, dive deeper into your approach that you describe as parenting from the inside out? What does that mean exactly? The nutrition aspect of it is was my entry point. Holistic nutrition really started to show me how food interacts with the body. And so in learning that, we had to learn about all of the body systems and how the body systems work and how we could support body systems with um, with nutrition and with food as a really important aspect. And that sort of opened the window for me to understanding a child's body. I mean, I went into it already uh, interested in children because I was coming from a, a, a career as a teacher. So I knew I wanted to work with children. And so I wanted to understand kids' bodies better. And that was my inroad to that. And then functional diagnostic nutrition um, took it one step deeper to be able to run some functional lab testing and see what's actually happening in there. So we can make some guesses just from what we're seeing around nutrition and what nutrients might support. But then we can actually also get in there and take a sneak peek Um, And it's very cool. We live in a time that we can do that now with functional lab testing. And so that's, that's that, that aspect. So, so that's what sort of grew this, I I think of it as a parenting strategy of what I call parenting from the inside out or inside out parenting of just like getting in there and like really understanding our kids from the inside so that we can create an environment for them. So that means understanding their biology, understanding their genetics, understanding their food reactions, understanding what nutrients they might need more of or less of, and also understanding their wiring, right? Their genetic wiring 
um, how they are likely to respond to stress, mount a stress response based on how they use amino acids and 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 transport and, and neurotransmitters. So that's that's what that's what parenting from the inside out is 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 understanding our kids from the inside so that we can create an environment around them that is conducive to what they need. So I think and that makes so much sense when I hear you say that and it kind of like an analogy that I might throw out is that when we when our car breaks down, we don't go and and think, oh, we need to clean the outside. We look under the hood, right? And and that's essentially what you're talking about is we need to learn as parents if there's a outward problem, like a behavioral problem, our first step is often, you know, maybe regular therapy or talk therapy or something like that or medication versus getting under that hood and really looking. And I think the sad truth is we're also not everyone, but in this world, we're very disconnected from our bodies. And a lot of us wouldn't even know where to look. So how do you, um, how do you help parents even begin knowing where to look? Yeah, that's a great analogy. It's, it, it fits really well that, you know, if our car stops working, we're not like, oh, our car doesn't work very well, or I have a defective car, or I have to, you know, junk the car or whatever. Obviously, we wouldn't say that about our kids. But, you know, um, <laughs> it's not, it's not the, the something's going on, like, let's, so let's bring it to the mechanic. And so I'm kind of akin to the mechanic when they come to me, and they're like, hey, here's what I'm seeing then I can usually boil it down to like, okay, well, then there's probably one of these five things going on. And, and I can, you know, give you an assessment of what I think we should try. Or we could run some lab, some diagnostics. It's not diagnostics in a medical sense of there's a diagnosis. So that needs to be clear. I don't diagnose anything. But mm -hmm. functional lab work can um, give us that little window in and be like, oh, look, here's, here's where we can support your body. We're, we're having a food reaction. We can remove that food and we can, and we can nourish the gut microbiome and, and your child will feel better. Um, so things like that. Yeah, that definitely, definitely makes sense. I'm really working towards a time when this is just a parenting strategy and, and uh -huh. I want, I want this information to be put in the hands of parents so they can actually do it themselves and they don't necessarily need outside help because because some of it is intuitive i think one of the things that that parents really need they really need to tap into their intuition because i'll i'll tell you like the parents who come to work with me they have strong intuition and sometimes they just need confirmation whether it's just from me telling them that yeah i think you're on to something because it's a pattern that i see in a lot of kids or we run some testing and we're like yeah you were right and maybe they need a little bit of guidance when it comes to the lab testing if they go that route Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot we can do without without the testing as well. Uh, so I, I I'm really I'm really big on supportive communities. Uh, education is my roots, so I want I want to educate you know help parents understand this information because you know there really isn't a handbook for children. Um, but I'm kind of working towards creating one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and making that this information so widely known that it just becomes a cultural norm and another tool that is much more, you know, widely used, right? I think that, yeah. that sounds like that's what you're saying. I think of it kind of as a new era of parenting, really, because our parents didn't really need to consider the gut microbiome or the processed foods or the sugar. And so it, I feel like with my, me and my cohort of parents raising kids, we have 
to think about different things than our parents had to think about technology, right? Cell phones, sleep habits, like all of this stuff. Uh, so I do think of it as a bit of a, we're kind of, we're, we're leading each other in all of mm-hmm. this. It's not like we, we don't have strong mentorship from our parents. Um, so on, on this, on this stuff, on this inside out piece. Uh, and so that, that causes a lot of friction actually sometimes in families, um, because mm-hmm. you know, grandparents want to give the kids all kinds of sugar and all kinds of cupcakes and what have you. And then the parents always are a treat, always a treat, yeah, no, always a treat. a treat. I'm like, it's not a treat if it's every day. <laughs> exactly. And, and, or if the body's reacting to it, right. And we know mm-hmm. we're going to have like two weeks of meltdowns afterwards. So this, this is this parenting from the inside piece that parents are, are getting really savvy to, oh, well, this is how, this is what happens in my child's body when they have that sugar. And so that's very empowering. Now they have a reason. It's not just like, oh, you're being that parent who does who wants to deprive her kids of sugar. Um, so amidst all of the things that you've done, you wrote this wildly empowering book called Raising Resilience. And you also have this program, The Roadmap to Resilience, Resilient Health. What is resilient health? Tell us about that. So I have been working with resilience for decades, even before I knew of it as the word that I was <laughs> that I was actually pursuing. But resilience is sesh- essentially is flexibility in the face of stress, or you could even extend it to be growth in the face of stress. So a resilient person can get through a stressful experience and not only get through it, but actually grow from it. So maybe it's sort of two steps of resilience. I want us mm-hmm. at least to be able to get through stressful experiences without crashing, but then to actually be able to reflect on it and grow from it, understand your reactions and move through it and become a stronger person afterwards. So that's the essence of it. Okay. But from there, I keep thinking, I, I keep expanding it. Like you can have immune resilience, which is you get you get sick and you feel crappy, but then you get better and now your immune system is stronger. You can have resilient thinking, which is something I've been thinking about lately. What's a resilient thinker? Somebody who is who is challenged and can actually cannot doesn't react but can, can, can contemplate and can think and can grow and can, can consider, right? So there's, there's, there's different aspects of resilience, but that's, that's the essence of it. So I, I, it's interesting in reflecting back, you know, ever since I left university, like in my twenties, I got really interested in adventure therapy and in outdoor education and in taking people out into the woods and, facilitating experiences with them so that they could Mm -hmm. build resilience. And then that took me into the classroom where I was doing the same thing. And it was when I was in the classroom environment that I realized that kids were really struggling with building resilience. And I didn't, I felt like I had really good tools to help them, but I had Mm -hmm. maxed out on my like social tools and pedagogical tools. And I wanted to understand the physiology. I wanted to understand what was going on in their bodies, which took me to where I am now. I mean, you explained it beautifully. Because when I first read 
the name of the book, I didn't totally, I didn't totally understand. Like I, you know, I wanted to, to under really understand resilience. Cause it's a, it's a word that you hear a lot. We want to raise resilient kids, but what I think you've pulled the blanket back on is the idea that resilience is essentially like how our bodies, how we should be right. We need to be able to thrive as humans in the face of stress, but because of this crazy culture we're living in for everything from nutrition to technology, it is really messing with our wires and the kind of art or ability of resilience could essentially be lost on an entire generation if we don't connect the dots that you've essentially connected, which is you have to rewire so they can have a chance of being resilient which is, I think, like the the more zoomed out goal of how we want to be. We don't just want to be healthy, right? You could probably technically be healthy and still not be resilient. Exactly. Wow. It, it's really big, but I've really tried to boil it down to a framework because it is so big, but it's actually mm -hmm. not that complicated. So in mm -hmm. working with family after family after family, I've identified what I now call this raising resilience model. I, I have various names for it, but that's what this name is right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I've identified there's five things that kids need more of, and there's five things that get in their way. So if okay. we explore those things, we will find the, we will find the pieces that are getting in the way of their resilience. And we can okay. address them. We can focus our attention. We can be really strategic. We feel empowered because we know exactly why we're doing what we're doing. And we can, we can improve the resilience of our kids that way. That's my goal. Like a roadmap. You've created a framework, a roadmap that parents can follow. So I have to ask because everyone's, I'm sure, like, well, what are these five and five things? You said there's five things kids need and five things that get in their way. Are those things you could bullet? Yeah, for sure. For Let's do it. And I'll, maybe I'll create a little download for people if they want it. Perfect. So uh, the things that kids need more of, I mean, it's, it's not rocket science. It's just mm -hmm. hard to implement. They need more real food than processed food, which is, you know, exactly why we're here. They need real whole food. They need water and they need clean air and clean water and sufficient amounts. Mm -hmm. They need movement. They need to move their bodies. They need connection with adults, caring adults, and connect mm -hmm. their, their sense of connection depends on their age. It changes throughout lifespan, but they need connection and a sense of purpose, mm -hmm. and they need restorative sleep. So there's nothing in that group that is going to be like, oh, I didn't know kids need that. It's just that we're putting it into a framework to be like, okay, when things are not going well, here's what you can take a look at. Here's mm -hmm. where you start. Start. Yeah. And, and I, and a hundred percent of the time when people come and, and work through our roadmap, there's something in there that needs mm -hmm. some support. And so focusing on those five things is, I, I, this is what I call creating a culture of nourishment in your family. Mm -hmm. If you can create a culture of nourishment in your family, it means here in our family, we nourish ourselves and here are five ways we can do that. What's going well? Where do we need to, to do some work? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where you start. What I loved about what you said was they're essentially all things that are just getting us back to the basics. 
we're running our engines and our energy so fast and we pass that fast energy on to our kids. Like I am always saying to Stella on school days, like we're, we're on a fast train. We're on a fast train. We got to go. We're on a fast train. And finally, you know, she's four. She's like, mommy, can we have a slow train today or a medium train? And my, my heart was like, breaking. I'm like, you're four. Yes. Yes, we can. Like what, what is really going on? And, and so I think I, you know, I hone in on the food part of it. Let's get back to the basics of eating food that was grown on our earth, earth food first, but you have the sleep, you have all the air, the movement. They're just basic things. We need to roll it back. Absolutely. I love that she said that because, and a lot of kids can't articulate that, but that's, it, it shows up as explosions in the classroom or it shows up as school avoidance or it shows up as tantrums or it shows mm-hmm. up as withdrawal. I don't want to talk to anyone. It's that too muchness. The train is too fast. I've got to get off. It's yeah. that. And, and so when that's happening, exactly what you said, dialing it back and be like, let's just focus on family dinners for a while, or let's focus on getting more sleep for a while. Or maybe Mm -hmm. it's the connection piece. It's often the connection piece. Like kids are wired for attachment. Attachment parenting is at the core of everything that I do. And Mm -hmm. it, it, it understands that like we are the mentors for our kids. We, they need time with us. They need space. They need to just Mm -hmm. be in our presence and feel that we want to be with them. So then you said there's five things that really tend to get in their way. I'm assuming some of those are the opposite of the five things they need, but do you want to just touch on those quickly? Yeah, no, they're different. They're different. And and here's what I tell people is that if you get to a point where you're like, I'm doing all of those things and my kid is still struggling, they're, they're, they're still not resilient. They don't have that resilient health or flexibility, whether that's mental or physical. Or you get to a point where you're like, I'm trying, but it's mm-hmm. just not working. They, just, they won't drink the water. They won't sleep through the night. They won't move their bodies. Like I, I'm, I understand and I'm trying all these things, but it's just not working. So if you get to those points, either of those two points, then there's something else going on in the body. And this is where we look from the inside. And <clears throat> the five things that I've identified I just, again, patterns. I think that's one of my superpowers is being able to see patterns and being able to connect dots. Mm-hmm. So I found five, these five things. So one of them is, is um, nutrient imbalances, right? They're missing certain nutrients or they have too high or too low certain nutrients. Food reactions, having a food reaction that you don't know about. Stuff going on in the gut. The gut-brain connection is a whole other conversation we can have, but Mm -hmm. something's going on in the gut that's putting pressure on their nervous system. Infections and toxic load. They have a a higher toxic load than their capacity to detoxify. So these five things I was seeing over and over again, it's not always all of them. Maybe it's one or two, um, but sometimes it's a little bit of all of them. And, uh, and what happens is when these things are at play, they, they trigger a stress response in the body. Mm -hmm. They, 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 they send messages to the nervous system that all is not well and you need to do something about it because that's our, that's the job of our nervous system. So if you're eating Mm -hmm. a food 
And, and, and there's the, the physiology is more complicated. Sometimes it's going through the immune system or through the circulation system, but for parents, like to understand when your child is eating a food and they're having a reaction to it, for example, there is a message of threat and fear and worry going to the nervous system. And so the nervous system is going to respond. Mm-hmm. And so in the work that I'm really interested in, which is with anxiety and, you know, kids who are having mood, mood instability, that sort of thing, that is very significant, right? Because they're going to have a stress mm-hmm. response. Yeah. Uh, and so the same thing with all, with all of those things. If your child has, a, has an infection, if your child has got, uh, it's gut imbalances, uh, microbes mm-hmm. in the gut that are, that are uh, out, of, out of balance, same thing, messages of threat and fear and worry. So what we want to do is we want to reverse the messages. We want to turn those messages of threat, fear, and worry into messages of calm, security, and safety. And so we do that by looking inside and see, okay, where are our leverage points? Where can we work? Where can we, where can we silence those, those messages or tone them down at least? What is the nervous system really like in layman's terms? So people can, parents and listeners can really understand what is it? Why is it so important that we keep it calm? Well, that's a big question. I mean, the nervous system is the brain and the spinal cord and the peripheral nervous system. Mm -hmm. And then we have our autonomic nervous system, which is, uh, which is what governs our stress response. It's autonomic. Mm -hmm. It's automatic. We don't have conscious control over it. So we have a, we have a a part of our nervous system that we have control over. And then we have a part of our nervous system that we don't have control over. It's really that part that we don't have control over that I am really interested in because I think with kids, we tell them like, just snap out of it or it's just okay. Just take a breath. Just, you know, like that's their conscious nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. Rationalizing. It's not that big a deal, but if their autonomic nervous system is saying, oh yeah, it's a big deal. (laughs) <laughs> then it's, we're going to hit, feel like we're hitting our head against a wall as their parents to being like, oh, you're having, you're overreacting again. You know, it's mm-hmm. really frustrating. So we have to work at that, that subconscious level, that autonomic level. And I, so I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I shifted my thinking about five years ago now, because I used to think, mm-hmm. oh, you know, it's all about the gut. It's all about the gut or it's, or it's all about the, the processed food or it's all, it's not all about any one thing. If it's about any one thing, it's about the nervous system, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Because the nervous system is the master orchestrator. It's the one, if the nervous system, our nervous system is our, is our ally, it's there to protect us at all costs, mm-hmm. but it doesn't like change, right? It doesn't like change. So it will sometimes protect us in ways that are not actually all that helpful. Mm-hmm. Right. So back to the very beginning conversation that we had, you know, where kids are reactive, that might be their nervous system just trying to protect them. Right. Mm-hmm. Because they need more connection and they're not getting it. And so they hit the wall and they throw a tantrum because mom's on the phone and dad hasn't come home yet. And I'm hungry and I'm not getting what I want. And my brother just said something that I don't like. And so I throw a massive fit. Mm-hmm. That's a reaction. That's the autonomic nervous system saying, I'm, I'm, I'm having a stress response, <laughs> right? right? They don't know that, of course, right? Yeah. Um, so in some, but it, but it is their nervous system trying to protect themselves to get what they want. 
mm-hmm. or what they need, what they need. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And, and thank you for mentioning the two different, you know, the conscious and subconscious, um, because I, I, I think also when we hear like your, you know, you say the nervous system's having a stress response. I think when we hear the word stress, like, you know, one of the things a lot of parents are like, they're kids, how stressed could they be? Because we think of stress as paying bills or, you know, having to go to work. We think, it, but you're talking about stress that if my child's eating gluten, and she has a sensitivity to it, not a full-blown allergy. She might not even be celiac, but she, it takes her autonomic nervous system, right? And puts it into a, uh, a fight or flight mode instead of like a rest and digest, right? Um, and, and that's the kind of stress you're talking about, just to clarify for people. It's when your body goes into inflammation because of whether it's a food you're taking in, connection you're not getting, um, your body becomes inflamed, making it hard for you to have calm moods, etc. Yeah, and, and inflammation is is an important word to that because all all kinds of stress are going to cause inflammation. Whether it's mm-hmm. immune stress, it's psychological stress, it's lack of nutrient stress, like all of that stress will end up in inflammation, and it's that inflammation that is really putting pressure on the nervous system. So. Mm-hmm you know, let's like pull apart the gluten piece, the, a gluten right. reaction. I mean, there's celiac disease, there's uh, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and there's wheat allergy. There's three different types mm-hmm. of reactions, but they all relate to the immune system responding right. to a food. And the immune system, when it responds to a food, it's going to cause inflammation. That, that's mm-hmm. the language of the immune system. Always will mount an immune response. And what we know now is that inflammation anywhere in the body can travel around the body and cause inflammation in other places. So that's right. why when you eat a food, for example, you might have joint pain or you might have neurological issues. You might get headache. You might not be able to sleep. You might mm-hmm. have full-blown behavior problems and tantrums, which I have seen as well. It's the inflammation that is coming from the food, initiated in the gut, and then travels and puts that, puts that inflammation that travels around. Uh, and what I'm most interested in is how it influences the immune, the, um, the, ner- the nervous system. And it creates that, that message of, of fear and, and initiates a stress response. Yeah. Uh, and I, I experienced this firsthand and actually only after listening to your masterclass was I like, oh, I'm not crazy. I'm right. And it felt so good. I was like driving along. I'm like, oh, this is such good news, but not good news, but like very satisfying news. So again, she has the holla on Fridays. And right at this point, we're still waiting to get her test back. So I'm like, okay, it's your body, your choice at this point. You know how you feel. But I was like, I thought, I'm like, she acts crazy after she has the holla. Like, like she's had a whole chocolate cake and it can last for a day or it can last for two days. And she's normally a very, I will say calm, like not super moody child. But when she has that, and I was like, is there any way that just bread is causing it? There's, you know, and now I'm like, yes, I, I think it is a direct correlation. I mean, I can't be sure until I get those tests back. But again, listening to my gut, I'm like, I, I, I think it is, you know, causing that inflammation and making her act in a totally different way than she normally does. 
Yeah. And because there's a, there's a bit of a, um, I like to work at the headwaters. Like if you can find something at the headwaters and that's having a mm-hmm. trickle down effect, you're more bang for your buck and we're busy parents. So we need those things. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the inflammation caused by gluten in some people can cause the downstream effect of shifts in the microbiome, mm-hmm. nutrient malabsorption, the inflammation we've already talked about. So there are blood sugar dysregulation. So, right. so it, it's, it might not be like, oh, it's the reaction to the wheat that's the problem. Okay. It might be the downstream effects that are happening because of that. Regardless, it. it's a symptom. It's, it's telling you, it's a piece of information telling you that mm-hmm. resilience is not as strong as you want it to be, right? Mm-hmm. Because in a perfect world, we should be able to eat a little bit and right. not have that kind of downstream reaction, right? So mm-hmm. when I see sort of that sort of thing, of course, we want to rule out celiac disease. We want to, you know, make sure we want, we want to run some, I, I don't like taking anything out of a kid's diet. It's maybe a bit of a controversial thing to say, but I don't like taking any gluten included <laughs> out of people's diet if we don't have mm. to. But okay. if it's going to be a strong leverage point for us, then yeah, let's do it. And let's, and mm-hmm. let's see. So, um, but as we replete nutrients, as we stabilize blood sugar in other ways, you know, as we take a look at the microbiome and make things a little bit more stable there, people can tolerate a little bit of what used to not, used to throw them over the edge. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's been my experience. Doesn't mean that gluten is like fine for everyone. And that's a whole can of worms to open. Um, but we're dealing with kids. And so Mm -hmm. in dealing with kids, we have to be very mindful of our language. We have to be very mindful of how we frame things. We don't want Mm -hmm. to, you know, create problems around food. Um, and so I, I want us to be really strategic and have a really good reason and a really good understanding for why she can't have that on Fridays because, it's it there are it's not without consequences to take that out right and yeah. she does need the connection and she does you know right so so it, it, dealing with kids is different if it was an adult I would I would be I would I would take a different approach possibly but with mm-hmm. kids we have to be very mindful we have to really mentor them yeah and, and that's that's such an important point is when you do have to remove food and I, I love that you take the approach that you'd rather not remove the food, but figure out why we need to remove the food. Like, is there something, can we heal her gut so she can have some gluten sometimes? And, and I, I, I love that approach versus the all or nothing. Cause I, I don't think that's healthy emotionally or sometimes even physiologically. Yeah. Um, and, and, and here's a little tidbit. One of the things, one of the connections that I've seen, one of the patterns that I've seen is that zinc deficiency is really a big deal. And mm. Zinc is involved in every aspect of our digestion, including mm-hmm. pulling apart gluten. So sometimes, you know, that's a place to start. I really like running zinc tests to see what's mm-hmm. going on there when we can. Um, and, and you know, because functional tests are not cheap, right? So if we can only run one or two, we want to make sure that we're, we're getting good value. Um, mm-hmm. But if there's, a, if there's a significant zinc deficiency, chances are pretty high that gluten is going to be a problem because we need zinc in order to create hydrochloric acid in our stomach and create digestive enzymes. And, 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 and it actually impacts how foods taste as well. Uh, mm. So, so that's a, that's a place 
to start, if we if we see a zinc deficiency, there's probably going to be issues with food and food food sensitivities. Oh, that is very interesting, and um, that actually perfect segue into my my next question, which is, um, I know. Uh, you mentioned, I think in your book, that there's some common nutrient deficiencies that contribute to learning behavior, growth, and immune struggles. Obviously, zinc, it sounds like, are one of them. Are there other deficiencies that people should look for a handful or that are most common? B vitamins seem to be an issue uh, often uh, Mm -hmm. because they are very much involved in energy production and also in neurotransmitter production. Uh, so B6, I mean, we can't make GABA without B6 and GABA is our most abundant calming neurotransmitter. So when we're talking about turning messages of threat and fear into, into messages of calm and safety, we need GABA Mm -hmm. on board. Um, so I, I like to take a look at, at whether there's sufficient B, B vitamins, but B6 and B12 mm. and folate are kind of, they show up a lot, but even B1, I mean, B1 and B2 are involved in, in mitochondria function and in our capacity to create energy. And sometimes mm. what's going on is the kids are just, they're running out of steam, right? Because we think of energy, it, it can feel counterintuitive because people are like, oh my gosh, my kid has so much energy, but we can think of energy, energy, like running around energy, but we, there's also cognitive energy. And our energy mm-hmm. that it takes to focus and learn and think and remember. And uh, sometimes kids are are running out of that fuel. So they seem hyperactive, but then they crash and they can't focus and they can't listen mm-hmm. and they can't learn. Um, so those are those are good to know. Um, copper is is showing up as a, a problem area and I'm still trying to figure out why this is becoming more and more of a problem. A lack, um, a lack of copper or too much Either copper. a lack of or too much of or not being able to use. Those seem mm. to be the three issues. And what I'm seeing most in the demographic that I work with is not being able to use it. So it's mm. there, um, but it's not bound and usable. So that, and then it just causes all kinds of problems. Um, Hmm. so it can, it can look like a functional deficiency. So, so it's, it's a piece I, you know, copper will elevate, uh, when there's, uh, with us alongside estrogen. And so I'm suspicious. I don't have any concrete data on this, but I'm suspicious Mm -hmm. that maybe all the estrogenic, uh, compounds in our environment are leading to this, this elevation. I don't, I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. but they, you know, copper will, naturally uh, increase in pregnancy. And then we are, as our hormones shift and change, it should come back to normal. And mm-hmm. um, the, the Walsh Research Institute found in 95% of their postpartum depression cases, that high copper post-pregnancy wow. was a significant contributor to postpartum depression. Um, because some, some mamas were, were retaining that copper Huh. They weren't, it wasn't going back down. So yeah, I think, I think the question then remains is like, why, <laughs> why is this happening? But that yeah. it is, it is a common pattern that I'm seeing this combination of low zinc and high copper is a bit of a doozy, um, in terms of how we feel. And then, so, so you find out the zinc is very low. Are you replacing it usually with a supplement of zinc, uh, depending on the child age or food? 
Well, both. It depends on, on the kid. It depends on the family mm -hmm. dynamic. It also depends on genetics. So this is where, where I really like to run genetic tests. I love a first, like a food first approach, but sometimes mm -hmm. with some kids, we have to, we have to work with some supplements before we can, uh, can, can get the foods in. Sure. Um, so hearing all of this, I mean, I, like I said, Stella, actually, my daughter actually, I don't think of her as a moody kid, but there's a couple things that I'm like, I want all these tests for her. Like, I want to work with you immediately. But I guess the question is, how do we know if our child's behavior is sort of, she's four, she's a toddler, just normal growing pains. You know, sometimes she hits and bites us, but it's not all the time. Um, how do we know if it's normal or if something that needs more attention? Yeah, that's such a good question because of course we like we're just comparing kids to kids, right? <laughs> we're right. kids to like how I was when I was a kid or what have you. Um and it and you get to decide is the mm -hmm. reality. Like you get to decide is this okay? Or what does your gut tell you? You know? Right. What does your instinct tell you? Do you want more information? Do you want more data? We can get that for you. Mm -hmm. Are you just do you just want to wait it out? You can do that too. You could look mm -hmm. at the five the five core nourishment needs that I went through, the five things that kids need more of. You can assess those and be like, oh, you know what? Actually, I think we could do some work there and you could focus there. So there's no what, one right answer um, mm -hmm. to the question. I think I think we do need to tap into our, our intuition. This is why I'm really big on like this cultural shift piece. Like we, if we're going to create yeah. a culture of nourishment in our homes – is this something that we value? Like talk about it with our kids, use mm -hmm. the model, like just get curious. Curiosity is probably my favorite word, <laughs> right? Get mm -hmm. curious. Like what are they, what, what, when she, what are the patterns? Was she, is she biting uh, or hitting under certain circumstances? Can you figure out what those are? So you're a mom to three boys, and uh, you also have this vast knowledge of how nutrition can help your kids thrive. So what, what's been your approach to feeding your own family in this you know, very processed product kind of epidemic that we're living in today? I'm not perfect. I mean, we've got some processed foods in our, in our, in our fridge right now. Sure. Um, so I am not, I, I, I've shifted over the years, to be honest, when mm -hmm. my kids were little, we were living in an off grid house, in a homestead, in a home we had built ourselves. We were doing oh, all wow. of the things I was baking bread mm -hmm. every week. Like I was very into the homesteading aspect of okay. raising kids until I couldn't do it anymore. And I felt isolated and I felt like we shouldn't be doing this by ourselves. We need community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we actually ended up moving. We, it was massive. It was 2011. And I realized that, you know, the dream was no longer the dream. And uh, we actually moved to the city. <laughs> it was, it's wow. crazy looking back on it. It was huge. Um, but uh, that's what I needed for my own mental stability at the at the time. We've got money, time, and energy. Those are our resources. Mm -hmm. Those are our bank accounts, so to speak. Right. And we have to play with, with that. And when one of them goes in the red, that's 
threat and fear, right? Like our nervous system feels that. Mm-hmm. When all three are in the red, that's burnout. <laughs> right? right. And then we're like, uh, you know, we have to we have to climb out of that. I want to talk about the current food culture that we're living in as we kind of try to raise healthy humans. Um, one of the things that I personally like struggle with is like the the picky eater label that has just become so rampant and popular in our zeitgeist. And I'm curious if you feel like picky eating is caused more by nature or more by nurture. I think it's both. I think okay. it's both. I think my approach to picky eating is to assume that it's nurture first because Mm -hmm. that's a bit easier (laughs) to deal with. Mm -hmm. So constructing a very positive environment, watching, minding your language around food, um, you know, the, the idea of, you know, my job is to the, the Dr. Ellen Satter's idea of the division of labor of my job is to, to present good nourishing foods for you. Your job is to eat them. And there is a mm-hmm. division of labor there. So not force feeding, not bribing and all that stuff. So that's a place to start. Um, but very quickly, parents can fall into a few traps. One is mm-hmm. the, oh, they just won't eat it. So I won't give it to them trap. Right. Right. Kids are learning. Kids are, you know, if if they if they didn't walk the first time they don't say oh i'm not a walker right they try again they mo- they make mm-hmm. mistakes like mistakes happen so if they don't eat the broccoli continue to give them broccoli and that can be really frustrating for parents food's really expensive and we don't you know want to always prepare it but but persistence pays off uh, mm-hmm. absolutely um but then there's this whole nature piece meaning it, something else might be going on. There are certain biological drivers of pickiness, and this is where the neurodivergence comes in too, because a lot of kids with neurodi- neurodivergence also have this stuff going on in their body. Um, so yeast overgrowth is is a great example. Like a kid who has yeast overgrowth in their gut is going to mm-hmm. crave carbohydrates because it's the yeast that's craving the carbohydrates, right? If you've ever made right. bread, you know that when you put sugar in with the yeast and the water, it starts to bubble. Um, mm-hmm. And so sugar feeds yeast. So that so it's going to be really hard to pull out the carbohydrates and the sugar from a kid who's very yeasty. That's what they're always going to want. And they'll mm-hmm. say no to everything else. So that's, that's hmm. an example, right? Uh, a kid who struggles with low blood sugar, same thing. They will reach for the carbs and the sugar because that's their that's their body's instinct. It's the quickest way to get their blood sugar back up. Mm-hmm. So, so there are aspects there when you feel like you've tried all of the things and they're just not uh, they're just not responding. They're still not eating. Mm-hmm. I, I'd say the the next place I'd look is is the gut and just see like what's going on in there and and hmm. why. There's that. There's nutrient deficiencies as well, like zinc I already mentioned. Like zinc deficiency is going to change how things taste. Uh, right. So some kids who are like super tasters or just don't like the taste of anything or they they tell you there's sort of like a 
metallic-y taste in their mouth or things like that. Mm -hmm. Our texture sensitivity also correlates with zinc deficiency. So there are some nutrient imbalances there as well. But like all behaviors, picky eating, Mm -hmm. if we want to get to the root of it, we can look through those five core stressors and we'll find our answers. It's going to be in there somewhere. Right. So with the um, kind of just again, this process world that we're living in, what is your opinion on how do we reprogram our families to adopt what is really the old habit of eating more farm food than factory food? How do we begin that rewiring? Depends where you are in your parenting journey, Mm -hmm. right? It's much easier if your kids are younger. It's much easier if you and whoever your co-parent is, if you have one, are on the same page and both value this. Mm -hmm. It's much easier when your extended family also values it as well, right? Or your school or all of that stuff. So it, Mm -hmm. it does depend. I think, you know, what I steer parents towards is creating that culture of nourishment in your home at whatever Mm -hmm. age. If this is something that is important to you and it's resonating and you're sitting there going, yeah, 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 this totally makes sense, but it feels so far away, then then the thing to do is to start just evaluating where you can start. For a lot of parents, it's buying a water bottle and an air and a, and a water purifier and just focusing on hydration you know, Mm -hmm. or getting a handle on bedtime. For some families, it's like, focus on yourself. Like, are you valuing this in your body? Mm -hmm. Because your kids don't want to have anything to do with it. So you be the model, you do the thing. As you do that, you're going to see how it makes you feel. And that's going to help you transmit this information to the kids, you know? So it, Mm -hmm. it, it really depends. But I think it, the, the one thing that we have control over is the culture within our within our family. It's mm-hmm. becoming more and more difficult, right? When you know tech comes in, social media comes in, you know school pressures come in, and all the outside world comes in, and we're like, ah, protect protect the family. Uh, yeah. It's becoming harder. But if you if you know why you're doing something and you have a model to follow. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's gets, it gets easier. But I like what you said. You have to just pick one thing and start, right? Educate yourself. And then when you can, when you have the bandwidth, start something, right? Um, so we have a segment that I call the unpopular opinion segment. And so I'm going to ask you, what is one opinion that you stand by that tends to fall into the unpopular category? I try not to care. <laughs> so I don't know if it's impo- unpopular or not. Okay. okay. But I would say something that I do think is a bit different is I, I want to nourish before we restrict with kids. I think there are a lot of nutritionists who are like, take out the sugar, take out the additives, take out the gluten, take out the dairy, or I won't work with you, or you know, or you're never going to see results. And I, I, I think with kids, that approach doesn't help. It doesn't hmm. necessarily work. So I want to nourish them before we consider taking anything out. Unless, of course, we know that it's an allergy. We, you know, we know right. that it has to come out with that exception. But um, I want to bring things in and it's not just food. It's all mm-hmm. aspects of nourishment. 
Right. And that goes back to the, that real holistic health and holistic nutrition is not just food, right? It's the connection. It's the sleep. It's all those other pieces of our wheel of life. Yeah. It's understanding what the body, what the human body needs and what a child's body mm -hmm. needs and bringing right. in more of that. Yep. Um, all right. If you could wave a magic wand, what one thing would you create or change immediately to help more children find consistent, calm, and resilient health? Mom guilt. Mm, that's <laughs> I would wipe it off the face of the planet. It's I so... love that one. <laughs> I know. It's maybe not what you were expecting, but... It's so unhelpful and it is our default and I fall into it as well and by no means perfect. But in order to yeah. raise resilient kids, we have to improve our own resilience and our own confidence and connect with our own intuition and do our own thing, even though everyone's rolling their eyes at us, which is really, really hard, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I'll, you know, I will say straight up, I am, I have been in those situations where you're like, okay, whatever, everyone's doing it, you yeah. know? I, so I say this without judgment, but it all comes back to guilt, my mom, mm -hmm. guilt, shame. I, I, maybe those aren't the right words, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, I do. I do. Absolutely. All right. Mom guilt. Mom guilt it is in 2024. We're canceling mom guilt right here. Gone. You heard it here first. Gone. We're going to replace um, it. Let's cancel it yeah. and replace it. Let's replace it with connection and calm and confidence. How about that? Three C's. Those, those the three C's. I love that. That's much better. <laughs> That's much better, Jess. I knew I liked you. Um, <laughs> so this has been such a deep, vast conversation. Thank you so much. I want people to, you know, be able to connect with you and know how they can work with you. So you have this free masterclass, the biology of behavior, and that covers five ways to leverage the power of functional nutrition to help your kid feel awesome. I've listened to it. It is amazing. Um, it's a lot. It's a, a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. But in a, but you packed a lot into an hour. I liked the efficiency. I was like, it's one hour. I can I can do that. Um, but what other services do you offer? Um, you know, and what are best for people's specific needs or goals? So we are always reevaluating how we can connect with more families and help more families use this approach because it is not, okay. you know. Uh, functional tests are not accessible for everyone. I totally get that. Organic food is not accessible for everyone, but there are elements of this model that are accessible to everyone and I want it to be accessible to everyone. So best way to keep tabs on what we're doing to make that happen is just to go to my website, jesssherman.com or Instagram, ask Jess Sherman. Right now we have our, we have our roadmap to resilient health. There is a an aspect of that roadmap that people can just join and be part of the community. And then there's an mm -hmm. aspect of it where people can run the functional tests and do the lab work and all of that stuff. Um, we have a couple online courses as well. We have one called Calm and Clear Kids that focuses on food. And we have mm -hmm. one called the Amino Acid Quick Start Program, which focuses on supplements. Um, and we have it set up now so that you can bundle the two together. So if you're kind of a do-it-yourselfer and you just want, you know, you want a, a framework to work within and some real 
strategic guidance on what to focus on. Those courses are amazing for that. Okay, but if it's, great. If it's more community and coaching and, you know, back and forth and conversation that you're interested in, then, then our roadmap is a better option. Okay, awesome. And um, do people, when they sign up for that roadmap program, are, um, are they working one-on-one with you? Do you have a team? How does that work? Yeah, I have a team. They, uh, they do get a lot of me. Um, it's a hybrid program so to keep the price down a little bit so that we do do some one-on-one if you're doing lab work because there's some one-on-one stuff that has to be done, right. protocol stuff. Um, but there's also, uh, there's also a curriculum that people can go on, go through on their own and like that's been recorded. And then there's also, um, office hours, uh, that, that we do live, uh, weekly. So I have another FDN like myself on our team who can, can speak to the labs and the supplements and the protocols. And I have a wonderful coach right now, um, who works on, supporting the parents capacity to do all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So she brings in a lot of nervous system work, a lot of um, her background is in yoga therapy and Ayurveda and herbalism. So she helps parents um, stick, stick to it. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we like, we call it building their capacity. I'm not sure that's all that self-explanatory, but you know, we, we need to, we need to have certain capacity to do this work. And a lot of parents come to us very depleted themselves. So we work with, with that. Uh, she works with that piece. That's great. I love that. All right. So online, people can go to your website. They can connect with you on Instagram. You have a lovely Instagram feed. I'm always getting great little knowledge uh, bombs from there. Um, you have your book, so they can buy that, I think, pretty much anywhere online, right? That books are sold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on um, Amazon. It's okay. also on my website. Perfect. Okay, great. Um, so the last thing before we say goodbye, even though I am a staunch earth food first advocate, I also love dessert. And so I like to end each episode with what I call a thoughtful dessert, where I ask you to either share uh, your favorite quote, a favorite book, a favorite podcast, or even a favorite recipe we can link to. I think, I think when a quote, a quote, and you'll recognize it from, uh, because I talk about it in the masterclass, when you see things differently, you see different things. Yeah. And I like that one because it's true. (laughs) And that's what we're trying to do, right? If you see your child differently, you see different things. If you ask certain questions, you'll get certain answers. If you ask different questions, you'll get different answers. Yeah, because I think it just speaks so perfectly to what we in this parenting generation need to do. We're living in a different world, but many of us are looking through the same lens as our parents did. Yeah. And we're not seeing what we need to see. So I I love that. When you see things differently, you see different things. That's beautiful. Yeah. And I should probably credit it too. I think it came from Dr. Bonnie Kaplan, who spent her entire career looking at the connection between food and mood. Um, Mm. So that's another piece we should leave people with is that I'm not making this stuff up. Like this is based on an increasingly large database of how mm-hmm. food impacts the brain and the body. It's a it's a very difficult thing to study. Uh, and when I, when I talked to Dr. Kaplan, that's one of the pieces that I got from her because I asked her, you know, 
about her research. And she's like, it's a very thing. It's a very hard thing to study. And it's a very hard thing to get funding for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting coming from a career researcher. Uh, yeah. But we do have some good studies showing that what we eat makes a massive difference, not only now, but decades into the future for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we uh, we'll, maybe you can share a couple links to the, your favorite studies just in case sure. people want to check them out. We'll put all those in the show notes, including links to your website and to your masterclass and everything. So um, just, I just do feel that you really are a superwoman, and I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing to help our youngest citizens thrive in this highly processed, overstimulated, fast train world that we are all calling home. Um, <laughs> I'm just excited to keep learning from you, and I just really want to thank you for your time today. Well, thanks so much for having me. So as always, a big thank you to all of you, our listeners, for taking the time to learn with us, question cultural norms, and for being bold in the face of change. Until next week, remember that what we normalize becomes normal. Eating more farm food than factory food can become the new normal. If you found value in today's episode, it would mean everything if you would follow, rate, and review our podcast and share it with your favorite people who are also raising little humans. For more Earth Food First content, you can follow along with us over on Instagram at Earth Food First. Have a great week.